Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We are coming to the end of a series that we started eight weeks ago called Teach Us to Pray, going line by line through the Lord's Prayer. And today is our last one in the series. Uh, And uh, we're going to jump into that in just a moment. But I've just got a couple of quick family announcements to uh, share with you before we we jump into that. Firstly, uh, and I alluded uh, to this a little last week, but we are making plans to move back to two services here in the city. One service at night, 5 p.m., and one morning service, bringing together our 8.30 and our 10.30 services together. The reason why we're at three services originally was because uh, after COVID, we had the four-square rule, and we all had to separate out, and we could only fit 50 in this room. We're now at two-square, where we can fit 96 uh, in the room, and uh, it kind of feels full, but it's been a real stretch for us as teams to go from one service to three services, as you can imagine, and just uh, all at welcome team and generations team and uh, worship team and uh, all, all, all the various uh, teams uh, from going to one to three. So uh, we have provision actually uh, uh, within the government guidelines to get back to 100%. Uh, And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue with our 5 p.m. because we've got a great team leading that space and we've just connected with a whole bunch of new people, particularly students and young professionals. And so we're going to continue that service uh, and we're going to bring uh, our morning service together and go to 100%. Now, there are a couple of things that you need to know just as I prepare. Now, this is going to happen after Easter, so the first week, Sunday after Easter. Uh, But a couple of things. One, uh, each seat will be numbered and you'll choose your seat as you register. So it's going to be like going to a concert or a sporting event uh, uh, or, or catching a flight just way more exciting. Uh, I know, I know, when you, when you get on Eventbrite and you just go, this is more exciting than flying uh, to Bali, um, and wherever you want to go, out of whatever your dream destination is. So you can actually choose where you sit, but then when you choose where you sit, uh, you have to stay in that seat. So that's so it's a little bit exciting, exciting to see who you're going to be sitting next to. We're all now part of the welcome team. Okay, so uh, you can't choose who you sit next to. You can just choose where you sit. Uh, so that's the one, first thing. And that'll take a bit of adjustment, I'd imagine. The second thing is, is that uh, we need to wear face masks from the time we walk through the door downstairs at the bottom of the stairs um, up to you come through those doors there. That's part of the government guidelines. And so we do need to follow those. So until you get to your seat, you need your face mask and then you can take it off and you're absolutely fine. And then when you leave, when you go through the doors, you need to put that face mask back on until you walk out the door. So we will provide you. That's, the way, that's what we've got to do. So we'll provide you with face masks if you don't bring your own, but feel free to bring your own if you have your own face mask. So they're just the two things and that will just take a little bit, I, I know, of adjusting. But what it will mean is it will relieve all our teams and our volunteers and, uh, and it will mean that we... Are, uh, you know, back together in a full service. We'll need to get a few more chairs in, in as well. Uh, but I, I think that that, well, it is the right move. And uh, we'll, we'll be confirming the time, but it looks like we'll be split it right down the middle and do a 9.30 service. So uh, that's what we're looking at. So 
that is uh, straight after Easter. More information to come in regards to that. The other, th- other piece of news is uh, I just want to honour a person this morning who ha- has been sitting on our campus leadership group, our CLG. And our CLG exists to kind of uh, advise and guide and help me uh, and our team make decisions like the, the one that we've just made and, and many others uh, in regards to how we operate as a campus. Each campus at Gateway has a campus leadership group. And Harriet Smith has been one of those who sat on our group for the last two years and uh, been such a blessing to, to myself personally, uh, along with her husband, Eric. And uh, Harriet is stepping off the CLG. In fact, uh, uh, Eric has started studying at QTC and is pursuing uh, ministry within the Presbyterian uh, denomination. And, uh, and so they are, they're stepping away from Gateway, which is, which is sad, but also exciting for them. And been personally sad uh, as Harriet steps off the CLG. And so we thought today it would be just great to honour uh, Harriet. So why don't you give Harriet a huge hand as she comes. We're going to pray for her. And we've got some flowers that we'd love to give you as well. Um, Harriet, we really, uh, we really value you. You've been a blessing. Uh, Harriet served in our kids team and Eric's served with youth and you've both led a life group uh, here. And I know, I know for Megan and I, we just really value you and value Eric as well. Um, uh, Eric and Harriet kind of very early on, they joined a life group that we started before when we had a, a sense that we'd be planning in the city and both uh, Eric and Harriet have been huge champions of ours and of this church and this plant. And so um, it's exciting uh, step for you guys, but we're sad to, to, to see you go. Um, it'd be great to pray for you as you, uh, as you uh, take the step. Why don't you just extend a hand if you can as we uh, pray for Harriet. Eric can't be with us today, but um, we'll pray for them both. Father, thank you for Harriet. Thank you for the blessing that she's been to us as a church community. Lord, as we've stepped out in this new venture, uh, planning a church in the city, Lord God, you've seen the work that Harriet's done and the role she's played, and Eric as well. God, as they, as they make a big step, as they step into what they believe God's calling them to, into, into a ministry, uh, Lord God, I pray that you continue to lead them and guide them and bless them and encourage them and carry them. Holy Spirit, will you just be with them? May, may they know your presence and your peace and your power. Lord God, as they continue to follow your call on their life. Thank you for her. Bless them, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you give Harriet a huge hand again? Thank you so much. Harriet. Awesome. Well, we are, we're coming to the end of this series, as I said before. Teach us to pray. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, we've watched you pray. There is something about your prayer life that leads to a powerful life. Will you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus gets the disciples together and he, as I've said before, he doesn't give them the common book of prayer and say, take this away for three years and study it and then we can come back and we'll discuss. He, he gives them a short paragraph, a short prayer that invites us too into a, a prayer life that is simple but powerful. And uh, today we're going to be focusing on a line that you won't find in either the Luke or Matthew version. You know, we prayed that prayer before. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We prayed it for the last eight weeks. But there's one line at the end that Jesus doesn't pray you won't find in the Bible. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's just not there. Jesus doesn't say it. 
You know, it's, why do we pray it? Why did it make the Lord's Prayer if Jesus didn't teach us to pray? Well, it ended up, uh, very early in the tradition, the church tradition, it ended up being the doxology, the, the final breath of this prayer. And actually, we find it in the Didache, one of the earliest, if not the earliest kind of resources of the church, one of the early manuscripts, writings for the church. It was this, this uh, manuscript, this book that was written for the church as they tried to figure out what did the church look like in, in the context that they were in, in this Roman culture. And this book kind of spoke about discipleship and about how to live uh, as a disciple in this early church, in this new, new uh, belief. What did it look like to follow Jesus in a Roman context, in the Roman world? And it's kind of like this last blast, this last breath that declares, that summarizes, but, summarizes, but declares who God is, who Jesus is, that Jesus is Lord for Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, you've got to understand the context. In that Roman context, as the Didache is being distributed, the mantra was, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. Caesar is the one to be worshipped. Yet in this Lord's Prayer that you read in the Didache, the summary of Luke and Matthew with this final line, it says, no, 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 there is a greater authority. There is a higher power that we approach. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. And so as we sit in this passage, we're actually going to grab hold of something uh, profound. And actually, they are words that, that we grab hold of. These words are, are not unique. They're actually found and embedded deeply in Scripture. And we're going to read those in just a moment as we journey through another story in the Old Testament that also declares that there is a greater power. But here's the big idea that I want us to grab hold of this morning. It's this. The practice of prayer, we've been looking at this for the last eight weeks. The practice of prayer accesses true power. The practice of prayer accesses true power. You know, we all need power don't we? We all need power. We've, in fact, we've become reliant on power. If we didn't have power, then the lights wouldn't be on and you wouldn't, you know, I have to be using my own voice. You know, nothing would be amplified. And, and maybe some of you would like that. I'm not quite sure. But, uh, but we, all, we all have become reliant on power. You know, there is so much that goes on in our life that requires power. You know, at our home, there are so many appliances that we rely on that rely on power, like ovens, toasters, coffee machines, microwaves, refrigerators, power tools, mobile phones, computers, television. Without power, chaos. You know, when we lose power, all of a sudden our homes descend into chaos. A few weeks ago, we lost power in our house. And it's called, what do we do? Our life is turned upside down. We just can't function or operate. Quick, get the candles. And we've got, and everyone's jumping on their phone and you go to the Energex app. How long's it gonna be? Has anyone done that before? When's the next update on the Energex? When are we gonna get power? We just can't function without power. You know, for the Circum family, we will not go camping unless it's a powered site. I mean, how can we function without a fridge or a coffee machine or a hairdryer? I'm joking, sweetheart. 
We all need power, but to access power, it's got to be plugged in, doesn't it? A few weeks ago, after church, our kids had made a huge mess on the floor here. In fact, there's a little bit of a mess here now. They said, kids, can you clean up? And I came back a little bit later and they were vacuuming with this manual vacuum cleaner. I mean, it's kind of cool, but it takes a fair bit of work. Now, to vacuum the whole church, it takes hard work. There's no electricity. It's all on my own steam. And I was very impressed that the kids were using this. I mean, I, I actually quite, I actually quite, I get a lot of satisfaction out of vacuuming. But this is, this is, this is quite, a, quite, a, quite a bit of work. I said, kids, what are you doing trying to vacuum up with this manual vacuum cleaner? Well, they said, Dad, we went and got the powered one, but it didn't work. We try, we turn the button on and it just wouldn't work. I said, kids, you haven't got it plugged in. You don't have the battery in. So I went out to the back and there plugged in to the power recharging was the battery. And as soon as I put it in and turned the switch on, here we go. It's not quite a Dyson. But that's, that's max, that's power max. All of a sudden, we are powered to go. And it's so much better. In fact, I, this, I quite enjoy this. I actually feel like, I, could I preach doing this? Not only will you be clean, but the church will be clean too. In fact, I, I actually find vacuuming quite cathartic. Does anybody else quite enjoy, three of you? See, there's something about vacuuming where I can, I can say, that's clean, that's done. I mean, working with you lot, I can never walk away on a Sunday feeling like that. Joking. See, we, we need power. But for power, for, our, for, for us to work, for this vacuum cleaner to work, it needs to be plugged in. See, we have access to power a greater power. It's the same with prayer. See, the practice of prayer gives us access to power, but we need to be plugged in. That's the gift of the practice of prayer. The practice of prayer plugs us in, gives us access to true power. And we're gonna look at a story this morning of a man who learnt the practice of prayer and saw the power of prayer at work in his life. It comes from the Old Testament. It's a well-known story, one that you would have learnt if you went to Sunday school, you'd have learned it there. It's Daniel and the lion's den. But we look at the person of Daniel and we see someone who understood where true power was. And so we're going to read from, we're going to read Daniel chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to open up the Bible today and, and read this chapter. And there's a, it's, a, it's a long story. We're going to try and shoot through it pretty quickly. But here are the three things that, that we see here, just to give you a, a map of where we're going. Firstly, prayer reveals power. Secondly, prayer challenges power. And thirdly, prayer accesses power. Let's, uh, let's work our way through this passage over the next few moments together. Daniel chapter 6. Verse one, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king may not suffer loss. Now Daniel was so distinguished, so distinguished himself among the administrators 
and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And get hold of this. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. We see here that there is a context of power going on. There is a power play at work here. This is the context of power. Now, really quick background. Daniel has been taken from, as a young man, he was taken from Jerusalem. The, with the Babylonian Empire had come and attacked and had taken uh, many of the people back to Babylon and Daniel was part of that. And as he was taken into Babylon, he is taken in, into a center of power. It was the largest empire known at that time. Babylon was the city and we see it's a context of power. It's where power was. And Daniel is drawn into it and he is pressured to change the way he lives, the way he worships, what he eats. His name is changed. There's a whole bunch of conflict going on and Daniel is trying to walk a way through where he honours his God, the God that, that his forefathers made covenant with in the context of another culture, another power. And we see here in this context of power that it's prayer that reveals power. It's prayer that reveals power. Or should I say it's who we pray to that reveals where we see power. Because there is true power and then there is lesser power. And there are two moves here. We see the moves of the administrators and the satraps. They pray to one person and Daniel prays to another. There are two powers at war. There are two powers that we see clashing together. This is a culture clash. You see the satraps and the administrators devise a plan to pray to Darius. And we see Daniel get on his knees and pray to God. And it's all about who has ultimate power. 
You see here that the, the, the satraps, the, the, the court officials, you can imagine, it's the, it's, the, it's the hallways of power. It's government there in Babylon and, and, and they're, they're trying to figure out who's, who's, who's who in the zoo and how, do, how can they further their cause. See, this is the thing with worldly power. Worldly power really isn't about the power. It's really about the person. It's really about you and me. See, the satraps weren't really interested in honouring Darius. When they, when they create this law and say, hey, we've got this great new law that everybody should pray to Darius, their motives are not, hey, Darius is, is the great power. What they're really reaching for is they want to extend their own power. And that's how it works for us in our world today. It may be guised in a whole bunch of things, but, but often we're the ones who want to grab hold of power. You know, when we're feeling insecure, we're feeling out of control, we're feeling like things are going against us, we, we reach for those things that we think will give us our sense of power and control back. That's how it works. And we see this here with the, the satraps. They're actually reaching for something that they believe that will get back their control for whatever reason. They're trying to climb the tree. They're trying to work their way up. You can imagine, and I'm sure we've experienced if you've worked in the, in, in the workplace, you know, there's politics, there's economic forces, there's legal forces, just as we see here in our workplaces, right? You see this all the time, the hallway conversations, the, the political play that happens within the workplace. People are trying to jostle, they're trying to move their way up in power. But Daniel doesn't buy into that worldly power because he understands that there is something greater, there is a greater power. And Daniel's posture and his response is so vastly different from the jostling and the planning and the scheming of the administrators. What does Daniel do? Does Daniel coalesce people around him? Does he try and get some people to kind of come onto his side so that he can promote himself? No, he doesn't do any of that. We read that he goes away. He hides in his room and he gets on his knees. There is something profound about Daniel's posture here. In the midst of a power play, in the midst of a conflict and struggle, Daniel gets down on his knees and he prays. He humbles himself. He says, I'm not in control. I don't long for power. I'm not trying to grab hold. I'm going to go to the one who truly has power. It is a posture not of pride, but there is a posture of humility, acknowledging that he will never be in control. He never was in control, but he knows the one who is. And see, Daniel's got a pattern of behaviour. And we've been going, banging on about this over the last eight weeks. Weeks He has got a practice. See, Jesus is teaching the disciples a practice of prayer. I want to give you the Lord's Prayer. Use this as your model for prayer. Daniel had a practice of prayer. And we get a window an insight into it. It's not like Daniel is confronted with this new threat, this new power threat, and all of a sudden he goes, ah, I better go and pray. That's what we do, don't we? Kind of like something goes wrong, and I don't mean to be, but it's kind of like, quick, I'm gonna, we need to pray. And, so, and I don't denigrate that. We do, in times of desperation, we need to pray, absolutely. But Daniel is not responding in desperation here. He is doing what he has always done. There's no panic. He's got a practice of prayer that connects him, that accesses true power. See, but Daniel, 
His power is in God. It's revealed here three times a day out in front of a window. Everyone can see where he sees power and it's on his knees praying to the God of Israel, Yahweh. And Daniel has a practice of prayer. Daniel, three times a day, plugs into the power source. He doesn't work, he doesn't strive, he doesn't try and grab hold and work things out, which we so often do. He just goes back to what he's always been doing, plugging into the source of power. I wanna ask you, as I ask myself, what are you plugging into? When you're out of control, or even when you're not, in your day-to-day life, what are you plugging into? into. Now it's been really interesting uh, over the past three weeks we've been doing this prayer and fasting season and I know some of you have jumped into that and been doing different things uh, as have I for the uh, two weeks we, I partially fasted in this last week for five days I, I fasted other than, other than drinks and um, I've got to be honest with you for most of that time I was wondering why <laughs> like I was going this is not helping me pray this is just making me hungry. Anybody else relate to that? It's kind of like, why? As so often I'm going, God, I don't feel any more holy than I did two days ago when I wasn't fasting. And that's just my religious thought. You know, it's kind of like, why am I doing this? Why am I practicing fasting? Why am I praying? Why am I struggling through this? Why, why am I inflicting this pain on myself every time I walk past the fridge, and the cupboard. It's hard. Why? But I kept going because I've I've been telling everybody else to. (laughs) Tell you what, in in the last two days, after three weeks, God was incredibly gracious to me in giving me a couple of words. One, I just... I opened God's Word and there was just a passage that God just spoke deep into my heart. It was something that I haven't had for months. It was a word, I believe it's a word for our church, which I might share in in future weeks or months, and a word for myself. God's Word just spoke into my heart. The same day or the the next day, I can't remember, but somebody had a, a, who I trust, had a prophetic dream, a word for me. Said, Andrew, I feel like this is for you. And it just spoke, it was like rain into my soul. This is last week, I've just been energized spiritually more than I have for months. See, there is something about the the day-to-day routine and the plugging in, and I'm learning learning this. this. I say that as an encouragement to all of us. So often we don't understand and we can't see as we plug into the power. And imagine that Daniel day in, day out, three times a day, spending time in the presence of God, plugging in and praying. We're going, why am I doing this? There's nothing special about this. There's nothing exciting about this. But I just kept doing it. And then there are the moments where God just speaks. He reveals his word. He encourages, he he reigns, he drenches us. You would have experienced this. But unless we're plugging in, unless we're creating space and time for God to reveal his power, we don't receive it. Daniel had a practice of prayer. He plugged into 
the power regularly and it made him incredibly stable, incredibly resilient, incredibly humble, incredibly secure. Daniel knew the power that he went to, but it didn't make it, didn't make it easy and it doesn't make it easy. See, prayer is a challenge. Prayer is a challenge. Why? Because it challenges our earthly desires and it challenges culture. See, my second point is that prayer challenges power and we see this here. When we pray, there is challenge. When we pray, there is resistance. And we see this with Daniel. Daniel prays and there is challenge. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. So they went to the king, this is the administrators, and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to your decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and make every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your king whom you serve continually rescue you because I can't. I can't change the law of the Medes and the Persians. There is a contest going on here and it's over prayer. As Daniel prays, there is resistance. There is a battle. There is a contest that's why prayer is hard. I want to encourage all of us here. Prayer is hard because prayer is a battle. The more that you find resistance, the more that you find challenge is because you're engaging in a battle. See, when you pray, you are fighting against the forces of your own flesh, your heart, your apathy, your own brokenness, whatever it is, and you're also waging war against the forces of our time, our society, our culture. There is a challenge going on. There is a battle going on. And we see this picture here. As Daniel prays, there is a battle going on. There's a challenge going on. There are two laws at work. You've got the law of the Medes and the Persians and you've got the law of God that's been passed down to the people of Israel. They are two laws and they are in conflict with one another. And for all of you lawyers out there or anybody else, know, laws don't change unless they go through parts. The law is the law. You have to obey the law. And what we see here are two forces banging up against one another. As, as the theologian T.A. Bugart says, I think I've said that right, on one hand we have Darius, the ruler of all peoples, nations and languages that swell in, the, in all the earth and enforcer of the law of the Medes and Persians. On the other hand we have the God of Daniel working signs and wonders in heaven and on earth and enforcer of Jewish law. The kingdoms overlap and the question of sovereignty has to be resolved. You see these two laws, I love the picture of that, overlapping. 
and the conflict needs to be resolved. Prayer draws out this battle. It's the law of the Medes and Persians against the law of God to the people of Israel. Now, we don't live under either of those laws today. We live under new laws. I mean, we've got the law of, of our world. We've got the law of our culture. I mean, we've got laws that are very good. We, we love our laws. In fact, many of them are built on the Old Testament laws that, that, that provide the foundation for democracy. But there are also other underlying laws that certainly sit within our Western secular mindset. They are laws of personal freedom and personal truth. Maybe you hear this more and more. Oh, I just need to tell my own truth. It's my own truth. See, we celebrate in our postmodern secular world personal individualism. We have our own truth narrative. We are invited to tell our own story. It's our own truth. But the problem is, is that you just can't have multiple truths out there. They bump up against each other. We are in a deeply conflicted society and world. But that's the underlying presupposition of our culture. That's our world today. And we're invited into a different kind of law. It's a new law. It's a liberating law, but it's still a truth claim that bumps up against our world. What is the law that we live under today? Well, we, we see some signs of it in the prophets who are also preaching to the people of Israel and to the Jewish nation in exile back in Daniel's time. Jeremiah points to this. He points to this new day where a new law is coming. He says in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, says this to the people in exile, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. There is a time, Jeremiah says, that the old law will be fulfilled by something new. It won't just be written in stone, but it's actually gonna be written on minds and hearts. And that law is fulfilled at the coming of Jesus Christ. In John chapter one, we read these words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There is a word that is spoken, and that word is Jesus, who was at the beginning, who spoke creation into being. Jesus is God who has come down to earth. And Jesus himself says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill the law. See, Israel could not fulfill the law. That's why they were exiles. That's how they were taken into captivity because they could not keep the law. And so they were under the curse of the law. They were condemned by the law. But God steps down in the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus comes to fulfill the law, lives a perfect life. And then we know the story. At the end of his life, dies. The righteous dies for the unrighteous. He takes upon himself the curse of the law. The word comes under the curse of the law, but three days later rises again and, and invites us into a resurrection life. There is a new law. We are invited into forgiveness and freedom. There is a new power at work. There is a greater power at work. And it is a power that speaks greater words, more power over anything that this culture or any culture may proclaim. 
It is the power of the cross. And this cross, this Jesus, has more power than any other power. You see Darius here going, I can't help you, Daniel. I, I wish I could rescue you. I wish I could save you, but I can't because there's the law of the Medes and the Persians. Jesus says, I can save you because I can fulfill the law. And in fact, I can invite you into a place of freedom and forgiveness. The power of the cross has the power to save. The power of the cross has the power to rescue, to forgive, to transform. In fact, the power of the cross has the power to defeat and destroy death itself. We are set free from the curse of the law. There is a new law at work. And Romans 8 says this, as Paul writes, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That is the law that we live under and it trumps and it overrides any other law. That is the power that we get to tap into. It's this power. It's this power. And it challenges every other power. See, prayer challenges power, but it invites us into a new power. And it invites us into a new power and enables us to fight with new weapons. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he acknowledges and he says, that for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. When we pray, we're engaging in that battle. So when you find yourself going, this is hard, I'm finding prayer a challenge, expect it. Expect challenge when you pray because you're engaging in battle. But we are given the word. Paul goes on to write in Ephesians chapter six, he says in verse 17, we are given, he says, put on the full armour of God and the final piece is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the Word of God that speaks with greater power than any other word or any other law or any other presupposition or any other expectation or any other cultural narrative that we may live under. Prayer challenges power. And then thirdly, prayer accesses power. Let's keep reading in Daniel. Daniel chapter six. We have access to a great power. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. Does that sound familiar? Jesus later on was also left for dead, but defeated death. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the, with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. 
The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. That's hectic. Then Daniel wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. We see here that true power is revealed because Daniel has accessed true power. The true king is revealed. Darius, the king, has to acknowledge and say, there is a greater power at work. There is a greater power than me at work. This is the power of answered prayer. Answered prayer reveals the true king. And Darius goes on to say, everybody, everybody now worship this power, the one who reigns eternal, the one who has authority over all. See, here's the thing, prayer, prayer is participation in the power of God. When we pray, we're actually invited to participate in, we're invited to plug in, we're invited to access the power of God. When we pray to the one who is all powerful, we find new strength to walk against the powers of this age. That is the gift of prayer. The practice of prayer enables us and access us to, accesses us to plug into real power. It gives us strength. It gives us hope. It gives us meaning. It gives us power. And when we tether our prayers to his word, I'm not gonna go into, we spoke about that last week. It gives us great strength. There is something incredibly powerful about God's promises in our life. When we take hold of God's promises, when we pray, God speaks into our heart. He reminds us of who he is and he reminds us of who we are. That is powerful. That is powerful. We have access to God's power. Paul writes in Ephesians and he prays for the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that you will see this. I pray that you will see God's power. See, for us, we won't pray unless we understand, we, we see God's power. We won't pray unless we, we see, oh, actually, there is a greater power at work. Otherwise, we'll spend our whole time just being religious. But we have access to a greater power that all we need to do is press a button. Get on our knees, whatever it is. Rather than striving and working and effort, pleasing, religion, whatever it is. Paul says, I want you to see that you have access to this kind of power, the power of God. I want you to see it. It's about revelation. And Paul writes a prayer. He writes it in the context of a prayer. He says, this is my prayer for you, that your eyes may be open to see the power of God for us as a church, if we see the power of God, then we will, we, we will go to him, we will ask, we will pray. Paul writes, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart 
our heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his, get this, his incomparably great power for us who believe. We have access to his incomparably great power to those who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. We have access to the same power that raised Jesus from the death. We have his Holy Spirit in us. I know that may not sound hugely exciting at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning when you haven't had a coffee yet, but you need to take hold of this truth. You have access to the same power, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That should excite us. That should motivate us. That should send us to our knees going, God, will you give us some of that? We need some of that power. And here's the thing. Not only are we called to do this alone as individuals, just like Daniel was, but we get to do it together. There is something profoundly radical when we gather together in this place. We are God's people constituted by His Holy Spirit. We are the body of Christ. And when we gather in prayer, when we gather in worship, when we gather together to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to bless one another, to prophesy over one another, to whatever it is, to spur one another on, there is something deeply powerful about that. As Tim Keller says, knowing the Lord is communal and cumulative, we must pray and praise together. That way, the more we share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall all, the more we shall all have. There is something as we gather together, there is more. There's more for us. May we be that church that when we gather here, it's not just, well, I do this because it's what I've done my whole life or it's just what you ought to do as a Christian. But as we gather together, let's encourage one another and know that we are accessing something far greater. When we come together, when we meet together, we are accessing God's power so that we can go out and walk in a world that celebrates and worships and prays to other powers. It's deeply seductive for us as well. When we gather together, we remind ourselves, no, there's a greater power. When we pray together, there's a greater power. When we pray for one another, there's a greater power. I absolutely love when we create space and time to pray for one another and bless one another because it brings power, it empowers us. There's a real gift in that. I don't know if you, know, you feel that, know that. There's such a gift when we gather together and we pray for one another. And we're going to do that in a moment. We're going to create space to bless and pray for one another. We need the power of God. We need to access the power of God. We've been saying it the last eight weeks, the practice of prayer accesses true power. We need to learn how to practice prayer. We need to learn how to practice prayer. Why? Because if we're going to see our marriages survive in this time, in this culture, we're going to need power through prayer. If we're going to see our children and the next generation continue to know and speak God's name, we need to access the power of God through prayer. 
For we're going to see our city transformed where the poor, broken, lost, anxious, depressed, content, selfish, proud, and unaware come to be radically changed by the love of Jesus. We need to access the power of God through prayer. If we're going to see our nation, our world find hope, peace in a time of disorder, chaos and disunity, we need to access the power of God through prayer. If our hearts and lives are going to stand firm in the battle, we must access the power of God through prayer. Church, city campus, this is our time to see God's power like never before. We must, not we should, we must practice prayer. We must. I want to ask you, are you practicing prayer? It's been a journey that we've been doing over the eight weeks. What, eight weeks. what are you learning? What are you growing? What are the things that are helping you to connect in, plug in to the power of God? We desperately need it. It's the only way that we're going to see our city changed. It's the only way that we're going to see our community changed. How are you going to grow in your practice of prayer? How are you going to plug into prayer? That is a question that is a challenge for each of us in this time. I want to ask you as we land, what prayer is on your heart? What prayer is on your heart right now? Or where do you need to see God's power? What's going on in your life, your world right now, where you just need to see God's power at work? Maybe it's in your own life, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's with friends, maybe it's in circumstances, maybe it's in your workplace like Daniel right now. Maybe there are things going on in your emotional state. I don't know what it is, but where do you need to see God's power at work in your life right now? We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click Get Connected to let us know.